Barum is relationships. Barum is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter、mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. Oh hi, Allison. Oh hi, Rob. Oh hi, listeners. We're here to talk about minute thirty-one, in which seriously, who are these people? You just got two new characters at the end of the last minute, out of nowhere. They don't introduce them in this minute. Do they not even say their names here? I mean, we know who they are from later, but very little is said in this whole minute. <laughs> oh no, it's just them. So yeah, there's no names. Weirdly realistic in that regard, I guess. They won't be introduced until the next minute.、Uh, the room is known for its sense of realism, right? <laughs> I think I think this movie is very good with its realism. You know, it's kind of a slice of life. The fact that Michelle and Mike don't say each other's names over and over is is more realistic. <laughs>、uh, in the original script, or well, yeah, in the original script, Mike is of course called Bran. Uh, in the credits, he is miscredited as being played by Mike Holmes because, though Tommy really liked him, he couldn't remember his name. His name is Scott Holmes, but he put the character name in the credits instead of Scott. <laughs> Tommy. Well, you know, making phone calls to ask people's names is hard. You have to like dial numbers, and then you have to talk. Yeah. And I don't know if Tommy has a person who does that for him, and he probably just assumes he remembers right. That that feels about right. That's I think that's what I would expect. And to see him basically just typing up the credits himself and just sort of winging it. Yeah, <laughs> and it is worth noting that in the stage play version of the script, this is the first scene of Act Two. So the introduction of new characters is not actually as weird. That they come out of nowhere because they are introduced into a new scene that expands our cast. So far, we've had what just five characters, and now it's expanding to more, which is fair. I believe the script is divided into three acts in the, the first version, so it's better that way. So, is that is there a stage play? Sorry, this is this is news to me. Is the stage play based on the film, or was the stage play written? No,、uh, originally, well, Tommy and Greg did acting classes together. They, Tommy, wanted to do stage plays. When he wrote this, he was going for a Tennessee Williams vibe. His first version of his script, essentially, whether he intended it that way or not, is written like a stage play、mm. because that's the best he could do with like stage directions. And so it's like these weird parentheticals describing what people are doing while they're talking. Did we say hi, Sam? Oh no, we didn't. Oh hi, Sam. Oh hi, guys. <laughs> Sometimes people just walk into your scene and you don't say hi.、Uh, you know, I feel like this week's minutes sort of、um, reflect that. You know, just people just walking in and you just go from there. Yeah, and they're and it's interesting also that while they're coming out of nowhere for the audience's sake, they are really comfortable with being here. Obviously. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> like they just walk in and start making out on the couch, and from stuff that happens in the next couple of minutes, we can assume they do a lot more than just making out. That's right. Given that the front door is unlocked, that's very risky, and I assume they just—that's what they were going for. They wanted to get caught. Yeah, I mean, 
we, we're really just thrown into the situation with them. And it's never really fully explained why they wouldn't, do they like not have homes of their own that they can do this type of thing in? Or like, why is it something where they prefer coming over to Johnny's apartment? And like, why is, why is this their comfortable area? There's a weird sort of subtext. I don't even know if it's a subtext, but it's like a implication that most of the characters are supposed to be about college age. Yes. (laughs) Denny being the youngest. And then Tommy being slightly older than the rest, but only slightly older as a character. And so Michelle and Mike and uh, Lisa would sort of have been in college together. And so they know they've probably have a history of hanging out at each other's places or maybe even at an apartment together in the past, Lisa and Michelle at least. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of weird, but maybe the other option is Michelle and Mike live with their parents. <laughs> I guess that's true. They just it's, are- it's hard to gauge because the ages of the actors and the ages of the characters are not the same. No, I know. So I was thinking is they, it's, it's just funny to, to think about that because they clearly are both, you know, grown adults who look like they would have their own places. Well, <laughs> Lisa, uh, Julia Daniel was about to turn 21 when they were filming this and, and don't remember how old. I have no idea how old Mike, uh, Scott Holmes is because there's not much information about him on the internet. No. He has, while he does appear in the room actors, where are they now? I'm, I'm pretty sure he does. I think everyone but Tommy and Greg does. Uh, he doesn't do much else. He doesn't do promotion for the movie. He doesn't go to the midnight screenings. And as far as I know, he didn't do any other acting, at least in movies. Maybe he's a stage actor. Maybe he's really good. I don't know. <laughs> he seems really good. I don't understand why he wouldn't be um, promoting this film more. Is he proud of his work? Is he proud of what he's done here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's proud of the end of this very minute. Very proud. Since it's one of the more famous... Like shots from this movie. Oh my god, that face! His face. (laughs) Juliet Daniel was originally cast as Michelle, so it wasn't until the original Lisa and the original Greg quit slash were fired, forced out, that Juliet then went in and said she wanted to audition for Lisa. Hmm. I didn't. uh, I wasn't aware that 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 was. I, I knew that she was originally cast as Michelle, but I didn't know that there was like an original Greg. Yeah, the original Greg didn't barely even last it. He filmed a single scene. Uh, it was the, the rooftop scene with Chris R. The original version, it wasn't on the roof. And Tommy told everyone that the producers, who don't really exist, wanted to see Greg on camera. And so he's like, let's just film this scene again, but put Greg in it. Because Tommy really wanted Greg to be in the part, but had in the meantime cast someone else uh greg is nice enough in his book not to mention the guy by like his whole name so i actually don't know who was cast as greg i think his name's dawn i I would love to see like alternate takes of uh scenes in this movie Mm -hmm. yeah the idea that it didn't like come into this world fully formed oh no (laughs) not even close Um, one of the things, aside from, uh, Mike's face that I, I particularly love in this scene is where the sequence is the, the music. This is where the, the guy doing the soundtrack is going like all out <laughs> for this, <laughs> this insane scene. Yeah. Like the, the, it becomes like sweeping and like weirdly epic in its own weird room way. And it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's weird. The score of the film tends to be pretty good, like better than the scenes around it. 
but occasionally it's inappropriately good because it's doing things that don't fit the scene. Yeah, and for, for that reason, I, I really love the scene just because, like, if you isolate the score, and I, like, I own the soundtrack for this, and have, oh wow, have listened to it, of course, because it's so amazing. And um, I'm the host of the show, and I don't own the soundtrack. For this movie. <laughs> I had to have it. I had to be able to hear "You Are My Rose" at any given moment. <laughs> But That's why we have YouTube. <laughs> uh, but the actual, like, the score during this scene, this is, like, the track that I have played the most because it just, it, it, it is baffling to me. It, like, it boggles the mind that, that the music. What is it, what is it called? I, I don't remember exactly what it's called. I don't have the soundtrack oh. in front of me, but it's something along the lines of, uh, chocolate is the. Oh, the food of love? Yeah. <laughs> something about chocolate and love. <laughs> <laughs> I have notes on chocolate for later, but I had some stuff on um, Robin Paris first. No, I lost my place because you mentioned the chocolate already. Well, Robin Paris, I I have to say that um, on the subject of her, she is, I think, far and away the best performer in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> She's the only one who feels, like, natural and, like, real. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, you know, is very... Their delivery is always very amusingly stilted. And so that's another fun thing is she just shows up in the scene out of nowhere. Like these yeah. characters just come, you know, out of nowhere. And she feels like she's walked in from a different movie because <laughs> she, it's like she exists in the real world and, uh, nobody else does. <laughs> yeah. I, I know at her audition, Tommy both immediately offered her the part and told her they'd let her know the next day, which was kind of confusing. <laughs> and she was also one of the more like professional knowing what she's doing kind of people on the set not just her acting ability but she saw the wardrobe that it was like one rack of clothes and she brought her own clothes every day she did her <laughs> own makeup 
So she was ready to go. I don't know why she wasn't just cast as Lisa. Like, <laughs> she's so much more, she seems so much more on her game than, than, like I said, everyone else in this movie. I think it was a timing thing. I think maybe they cast her, no, because they would have cast it after, I don't know. It's <laughs> not like Tommy cared about getting the contracts in the right order or only casting people when it was appropriate and not firing people out of nowhere. I feel like that's the the mystery of this movie is that clearly he doesn't care, but at the same time he cares so much. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, and I I haven't like delved into a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. I've still never seen like the disaster artist or read the book or anything like that. Um, But I don't know, just that weird, the weird uh, dichotomy. Tommy was always, like, he clearly is so passionate about this project, but at the same time, it's all so haphazard and, and weird. Well, as, as much as there was a first draft of the script and an existing thing that existed, yes, it was being made up day by day. Like, they'd get three pages of script, and Tommy would, like, he'd claim after and he'd claim since on YouTube many times. He got very angry. About Sandy Shaclair suggesting there was no script. Um, well, I just want to, but I, I don't know how much detail we've talked about the casting sessions before. We have mentioned that there was a bed in the room, which made some actresses think that they were auditioning for a film with even more sex than this one. The, the audition often, often involved Tommy just getting the actress in and telling, okay, your mother just died and they just had to react. He was running it like an improv session, basically. Um, what was the other one? There was something about your, you just found out your sister's a lesbian was one of them. Um, How are they supposed to react to that? I'd just be like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I wouldn't care. They had, narrowed, they had narrowed down a list of 18 uh, actresses down to four, the first three of whom couldn't survive Tommy telling them their sisters had just become lesbians. <laughs> the last woman up, Robin Paris, was a newly married graduate of Duke University who'd been doing commercial work in Los Angeles. Greg says the first thing I noticed about her was her unbelievably genuine smile. She didn't ask any questions before doing her scene. She just walked up to the camera and did it. She was easily the best person we saw, and she didn't even have to be told that her mother was dead. <laughs> <laughs> or that her sister was a lesbian. Yeah. And so Tommy's response was, wow, beautiful, very nice, so we may give you part. And Robin's smile got bigger. This wasn't how directors talk to actors during auditions, Greg says. And she says, okay. And Tommy said, we will let you know. We need you to perform the kissing stuff. Are you giving? Can you make it here tomorrow? She said, sure. And Tommy said, then maybe we see you tomorrow. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, Greg calls this uh, promising and unpromising things. He calls this basically a form of abuse. So he's like calling out Tommy on his casting sessions. (laughs) But he says Robin left in good spirits, and the second she was off the set, Tommy told him to hire her. So he waited half an hour, called her, and told her to come the next day. Which he had sort of already said. Yeah. Yeah. But now but now Greg was telling her over the phone, so it made it like official and clear. Uh, who knows how Tommy sounded, you know, with his accent. Yeah. <laughs> whether she understood it. And so she came and started the next day, essentially. I don't know if... It was probably this scene, actually. And she jumped right in. Just... Walked on set and mm-hmm. suddenly was in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she says, uh, Scott Holmes said of the audition process for the new, 
for the new Michelle that, uh, where's his quote? I just made out with whoever was auditioning for the female part, which was fantastic from my point of view, but not the best audition environment. <laughs> so he was there for all the auditions, just repeatedly making out with actresses. This is an interview with player one in December, 2017, where he said, yeah, he was there. He kissed whoever was there because he was there for the auditions. However, uh, Robin Paris in the interview with Philip Haldeman in my big break number five tells her that the person she actually auditioned the scene with was Greg Ellery, who plays Steven at the end of the movie. <laughs> so, I don't know. Well, I'm glad she's there. Yes. She is a, uh, she's a breath of fresh air in this movie. I said last week that, that Carolyn Minot and Robin Paris are better than this movie, and Robin Paris would be the, the better of the two. Like, she's, it, it's too bad that she got stuck with this and even though she's made something of it because the room actors where they now is hilarious and she's basically made those she could have been something but <laughs> well, she could have been something bigger something she is bigger, something yeah yeah oh that sounded mean didn't it? that wasn't what i meant at all <laughs> now mike could have been something <laughs> i meant like big movie yeah she could have at least been like a television star it seems like yeah Robin, if you're listening, you are something. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pre- it's pretty clear that we all we're all pretty big Robin Paris fans. Well, if I can finally figure out how to how to get our messages coordinated, we'll get her on the show, and then you can tell her that. What I meant is that like this movie follows all of these actors around, and that's like what they're known for. Yeah, you know. And she she should be known for something better than this. Yeah, that's yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I I can get behind that. But still, she is, like, a highlight of this movie. She's mm-hmm. so good. Oh, certainly. For sure. <laughs> now, what do we think about the conversation in this minute? <laughs> is that a quote-unquote conversation? Well, I think there's only four lines of dialogue in this, yeah, yeah. this minute, and one of them is yum. Yum. So. <laughs> I got so confused. I was like, we're still on minute 31, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did get confused for a second. <laughs> like, what? This no. man has conversation. The conversation <laughs> is yum, it's delicious, arms up, and chocolate is a symbol of love. That's it. <laughs> okay. He makes the weirdest face when he says arms up. <laughs> it's, and it's such like a, a like a, a mom trying to get her three-year-old dressed. Arms up. Arms up. Yes. That's, yes. I, I, <laughs> I read that in my notes. Let's say it's like weird motherly thing. Uh-huh. How, like, I, I don't know. I'm... Slightly uncomfortable with the idea that this is, like, an arousing thing for him to hear. <laughs> like, arms up! And she takes off, I don't know, it's like, ugh, it, it feels a little icky and strange. <laughs> <laughs> There's the quote for the, the episode. <laughs> icky and strange. Feels a little it icky, icky and strange. strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, but God, his face is, man. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, in a way, he's a highlight but it's a very different way. <laughs> well, yeah, he he's like going full campy and weird. Yeah, he's all in. It's just in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for that reason, the two of them together, I think, is kind of a, a fun mm-hmm. match because they are both they're both going they're both doing something. Yeah. Even later at the party scene, like way toward the end of the movie, the two of them in the background decided to play with their food because they thought it would fit their characters. Oh. And so they're just if you watch them in the background, they're like back there get, like feeding each other cake and stuff, and it's great. <laughs> Props to them. Yeah. Now, as to chocolate Ooh. being the symbol of love, this is actually oh a goodness. legitimate, like, thing. 
According to Delizia Chocolatier, the link between chocolate and love can be traced back to Montezuma, who noticed that what's the quote? Noticed that his ability to please the ladies was enhanced after drinking cocoa. Rumor was it that he drank three gallons of the chocolate he drank a day to increase his libido. Goodness, <laughs> is that an old wives' tale sort of thing? Uh, I don't know. Right, it's good for upset stomachs. It, well, what I put in my notes is even is worse. I put three gallons a day. He was probably just so overweight he couldn't help but be a giver. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. (laughs) And he was in charge. You know, Montezuma was like the emperor. So (laughs) I also put all of his women were probably faking. (laughs) I'm not very nice to Montezuma. (laughs) Poor guy. And he's been dead for a long time. Chocolate is a symbol of love. You mean like the, the way they're like swapping it between their mouths? <laughs> like he's like eating it off of her. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know, I can, unlike the arms up thing, I can see how that would be something that people would be into. Like, you know, food, chocolate, sex, like it's. Or, or it, it could almost be like they're not into it, but this is the first time they're trying it. And so you gotta, be like, how does this work when you involve food? And so he's trying it in different ways. Maybe they read that Montezuma quote. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I guess this is what people do. <laughs> We've never tried incorporating chocolate into our sex life at Johnny's apartment before. Let's yeah, try that. They're just doing different variables. <laughs> Weird as that. It's, it's for a college experiment. <laughs> check off chocolate, check off Johnny's apartment. Now, I do have a few good notes from a midnight screening for this minute. Notes from a midnight screening. More appropriately than anywhere else in the film, at the beginning of this minute, when they are kissing, we get the om, 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 like they're eating each other. (laughs) When he puts chocolate on her throat, (laughs) the last screening I went to, someone screamed, that's not her fucking mouth. And she says yum, yum to this. So someone screams, you can't taste it. But the best one for this minute is, and we've already talked about its inappropriateness, when he puts his arms up for her to get the shirt off, the audience will scream, touchdown! And then at the end of this minute, his famous O face, uh, we get a lot of random comments and sounds because the audience just goes crazy. They are right to do so. Because they, they love it in a horrible way. <laughs> it's, it's insane. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, <laughs> this, it's, um, this whole sequence to me is like a, a good example of why this movie is so great, even outside of whenever, uh, Tommy was O. Juliet, Danielle is on yeah. screen. Cause they, I mean, they're like the, you know, they, they are rightfully the face of mm-hmm. the movie, but I mean, it's the scene, like between the music and the, the strange dialogue, strange moments, the weird faces that he's making. It's like a really good example of what this movie has going for it, even outside of Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And it's, it's a great mix of some of the most horrible aspects of the film with like the arms up and the face. Like they didn't go for a different take. Yes. And also some of the best because you get Michelle in here who was having a good time and acting. And you can almost believe their awkward behavior is someone's real awkward behavior who just doesn't, ha- hasn't done this before. That, yeah, that, that's sort of like when I'm watching the scene, that's kind of what I get 
more. I think because like we were talking about, they're both, they're two of the more, two of the people that feel like they're acting more. And so it does seem like a thing where it's just, this is the way these two people are Mm -hmm. and they have, they've, they found each other and I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. They found their soulmate. Yep. Chocolate covered soulmate. (laughs) Chocolate covered. Now I'm imagining more chocolate in the scene than we need. Yeah, I feel like a chocolate fountain. <laughs> now, um, Sam, <laughs> if the listeners yes. want to hear more from you, where can they do so? Uh, well, they have a lot of options. I um, I have a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast um, called Reopening the Wormhole, where we watch that whole show in random order. We actually recorded our episode about the final episode, so it's pretty much over hasn't come out at the time of this recording, but it'll probably be out by the time this releases. So if you want to hear that entire show, it's all out there now. Um, otherwise, I also do a podcast about old Marvel Star Wars comics um, from the 70s and 80s. And um, we're currently covering the adaptation of Return of the Jedi right now. So you can check that out. And uh, it's it's a good time. <laughs> what is that one called? Oh, yeah. Marvel Star Wars Explorers. <laughs> There's nothing wrong when people make fun of the project, in this case, The Room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening, and remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us!